Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch, Ian Willoughby, Chief Architect Cloud Solutions, and Skip Berry, Executive Director of Cloud Enablement. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back to Cloud Crunch. Today, we have Mike Eshu, Senior Manager, Worldwide AMS Specialist, Solution Architect at AWS. He joins us today to talk about how customers are using Amazon Web Services Managed Services, or as we like to call it, AMS, which we'll be using that term frequently today. We look at the challenges these customers are facing and how they're overcoming them to maximize the benefits they're getting from AMS. Welcome, Mike. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me, Ian. And we have our uh, co-host today, Skip Berry. Skip, always great to have you back as well. Yeah, likewise, Ian. Welcome, Mike. Yeah, this is going to be good. For those of you on the podcast, we have been experiencing this service for quite some time, AMS, Amazon Web Services Managed Services or AWS Managed Services. It's been a great product. We've seen a lot of customers benefit from this, and we want to kind of dig into this because it's not just about the service. There's going to be a lot of other things around it that we want to discuss. So, uh, Mike, can you give us just a quick overview of what AMS is and the purpose and the value that it's adding to the customers out there? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. And so, so AWS Managed Services, um, and we launched in December of 2016, and are focused on helping customers with operations, which which is obviously a, a big statement and, and a big name with with managed services in it, which is one of the reasons we prefer AMS. You know, we we've been working on. Uh, I was listening to a sales manager in the Northeast, as it turned out, talk about AMS on an internal call. And he was using a great analogy that, that I'll borrow from him and, and share with you, right? And, and he explains AMS as a bridge, right? And cloud is, let's call it the, the beach or the shore, right? Or, or all the benefits somebody wants to get from cloud, right? You want to get cost avoidance or cost effectivity or optimization. You want to leverage AWS's breadth of services, AI, ML. You want to leverage all the different instance sizes and capabilities and database engines we have. You know, all those those things can help developers build build business value or directly impact business value by reducing costs. But in order to get those benefits, you've got to connect that cloud environment back to your traditional IT environment, your on-premises environment, your network, your access management, compliance integration for healthcare customers, PCI for you know, credit card processors. All these different types of compliances are all required if you want to get all those business benefits and so on. Right? So he likens all the business benefits to the beach. Now, as many of you are driving to the beach and, and, and hopefully uh, COVID isn't impacting uh, too much of your vacation plans, you're likely to drive over a bridge. You're likely not to notice that bridge, right? It's just, you know, some infrastructure that's been put in place to get you where you're going. Maybe you have to pay a toll. You don't exactly love that part, but you certainly appreciate the benefit of getting over that bridge so you can get to what you want to do, right? You want to enjoy that beach location. You want to enjoy, you know, your vacation or, you know, from a business perspective, maybe you're just trying to get into the office, right? So you can collect that paycheck. And so what AMS does is help with the bridge, right? We try to take, take away from the customer the burden of 
designing and implementing all the different AWS services. And we're going to go deeper into that as we go through the podcast and just sort of take the sort of challenge of selecting which to use for which use case, the best practice implementation of IAM, managed active directory, CloudWatch, CloudTrail, config, the, the list goes on and deliver those to customers in an integrated way so they can just quickly sail across that bridge and get to the business benefit they're trying to enjoy. The summary, right, is we're providing a secure and compliant AWS landing zone with integrated AWS services, and we're going to allow customers to focus on adopting cloud at scale versus doing the undifferentiated tasks of designing and operating that landing zone and the underlying infrastructure. So we can patch your EC2 instances, back up your EC2 instances, and so on. But we're really trying to take the burden of any cloud operations away from the customer so they can focus on those cloud benefits. I appreciate that, Mike. That's a great description. And since 2016, I'm sure you've come in contact with a lot of different customers. A couple of examples that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, just, just being with you guys in Second Watch today, I mean, as, as I think one of our earliest projects we did together now a couple of years ago was Information Builders, which is a independent software vendor. And so they, they've got their flagship enterprise analytics application. Second Watch was able to implement it in AMS within four months. And it improved their speed of migration that they'd been encountered by 66% versus, you know, looking to their internal resources to do those infrastructure tasks. They wanted their infrastructure resources to be focused on application enhancements and building capabilities for their end customers. Uh, They estimated that to be about a million dollars in savings and personnel costs because they didn't have to allocate folks to the infrastructure stuff. They could focus them on the application stuff and ultimately created the Information Builders Cloud Managed Analytics Solution that's powered by AMS for onboarding their install-based customers. So that was one I, I thought was really good. Another one that we do that we love to talk about and as a public reference, so you can search for, for some testimonials and white papers is Sally May, which folks will be familiar. They're, they're the education lender in the United States. Um, they were able to close two hosting facilities. They migrated 71 applications in seven months. Um, and, and I love these statistics and I'll probably keep talking about them because I think it, it really encompasses the outcome you get when you think about a standardized AMS operating model, right? But a 50% reduction in major incidents experienced in their first year, right? And we had to wait and see what the outcome is. And they saw 100% patch compliance. Of course, they're a regulated entity. So their regulators, of course, appreciating that. And, and frankly, their own, own morale, like you want to be well patched. 30% reduction in planned maintenance windows required, 30% reduction in cost related in meeting savings objectives in the first year, right? So it met that objective. They have two hour regional disaster recovery and plan. One, it's required by the regulators, two, that uh, they need to do it. And, and the result of that was a 30% reduction in downtime when they were performing these DR-related drills, which is so important for the resiliency of their business, right? So, so two cool use cases. We've got a few more that we'll talk about, but pr- pretty exciting. Yeah, very impressive. That Sally May one, just talk about de-risking. Those are great stats for that. That takes a lot off of CXO's plate at the end of the day, right? And it's it's hard, you know, I always say it's challenging as a managed service provider, right? On your best day, you know, people often don't notice you're there, right? It's, it's you know, it's, it's when you're having a hard day, right? So reducing those hard days. Yeah, and obviously Amazon is famous for working backwards from what the customer needs. What are some of the biggest challenges that the AMS users have, have experienced and facing right now? 
Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it, it goes back to what we're asking of IT, IT departments right now, right? Because so many of customers that we're working with have a cloud-first strategy, right? I mean, board of directors are, are requiring the company to have a cloud strategy of some kind. Many go further and say, we're going to take a cloud-first strategy. We, we don't want to be in the data center operations business. Uh, we're happy to have AWS look after that for us. So how do you execute on that strategy when you've still got to maintain patch compliance? You've got to operate your as-is. You're being asked for innovation operating models, and, and, and you're being told to enable those. You're being asked to migrate workloads to the cloud, your traditional workloads, so EC2 compute type workloads. And, and probably you're being asked to do that with less budget, right? So, so like, how do you maintain that which you're required to maintain, yet execute on this strategy that hopefully is going to unlock the business value of cloud as you move to it, right? So to me, that's the first and foremost, right? And the way I explain it, I'm an electrical engineer. And so, so I learned about circuit design. Uh, and, and so a way to improve the speed of your logic gates, right? All the little uh, gates that are making decisions, you know, whether it's an AND gate or an OR gate, ultimately culminating into a microprocessor. If you reduce the fan, the number of inputs, and you reduce the fan out, the number of outputs, you can improve the speed of the circuit. And so how this translates to IT is we don't want central IT to become that central node of processing all the things. And that's the way central IT was designed because there used to be only one way. We had the data center and we had data center operations. Now we have SaaS, we have experimentation with machine learning and data analytics, leveraging regulated data. We're doing innovation applications uh, to, to reach more customers with engaging web experiences, right? So we've got all these different new demands from the business, and the result is we're going to have many more operating models, and we've got to minimize the fan. We can't route everything through IT. So IT shifts into this role, at least I believe, as a governance layer, and they're governing all these different operating models that are giving the business the security-compliant and risk-adjusted operating models and outcomes that they need to effectively operate in the cloud, right? And so what this means is there's this huge skills shortage, right? And, and so we, we, we wanna have this traditional operating model in the cloud, but our traditional operations staff might not be aware of how to do cost management in the cloud. Before cost management was done by finance in the data center, now every day the IT operations engineer wakes up, they're responsible for some cost management, right? They can find ways of saving the company money so they can reinvest that reduced cost into to innovation and move their business forward. So just keeping pace, I think that's the biggest thing we see. Mike, you, know, you threw me right back into engineering school, digital logic. As long as we don't talk about differential equations going forward, we can continue this conversation. Fair enough. I, that was going to be my next analogy, but I'll, I'll, I'll evolve past it. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, thanks for that answer. How is AMS really helping them overcome some of the bigger challenges that they see in front of them? Yeah, I, I think, you know, core to it, right, is we're accelerating these migrations, these cloud adoption journeys, because we're bringing tools to the table immediately. We, we, we decided to take a very prescriptive approach, right? So through this standardization, we asked the customer a series of questions, simple ones, like what, what IP space can we use? You know, how are we going to configure the firewall? These are our requirements. We don't leave a lot of, you know, how would you like to do X, Y, or Z to the customer? We prescribe it all. And as a result, we then deploy our already 
already designed landing zone and go through a very well-documented set of integration steps. Open up the firewall, do the access management integration, operational process integration, security and compliance integration, and some very well-documented validation that that environment has been established correctly and that they can easily deploy applications and infrastructure into that environment. So through that standardization, we can lay it out right away. And and within two to four weeks, the customer can be in a fully production-ready operating environment. And so, and then once you're there, you deploy stuff into it. And you don't have to worry about the patching and the backup and leveraging cloud tools for backup. I mean, sure, you could customers could choose to stay with with their incumbent tools that we're using in those data the data center, but those aren't deeply integrated into the AWS service suite. And so, you're not going to get as high value out of cloud if you're not adopting all those uh, nuanced features of it that enable scaled AWS operations. And the trusted advisor won't be getting the data feeds it needs to give the best recommendations it can give. Right. So the result. Right, can be a 30% cost optimization from resource cost avoidance and a 25% operational and infrastructure savings as a result of ensuring we have all those data feeds to make those cost, uh, cost implementations. I think the other net separate advantage is security and compliance out of the box. So this landing zone we're going to lay down for the customer comes with attestations. You can see them in AWS Artifact today. We're we're PCI attestated. We've got ISO uh, 27,000 family of standards, SOC 1, 2, and 3, high trust, HIPAA compliance. And all that's built into the design of our landing zone, as well as the design of our processes that we use to manage incidents, execute patching routines, change management, and so on. So that's all been pre-audited by third-party auditors, baked in, and customers can take those audit reports right to their auditors. They don't have to prepare for an audit. It's already been done, right? So you get that out of the box. And as a result, we're hopeful hopeful that customers are able to focus on that innovation, the, the, the beach that we talked about, right? Getting the value out of cloud, be it cost optimization through innovation, we, we get that undifferentiated heavy lifting of infrastructure operations, not just infrastructure as AWS natively provides off the, the customer's plate of things to do. So they actually can start progressing on that, that cloud cloud-first strategy that they might have. So as far as the partner landscape, does it take, you know, does AMS take the partner out of the landscape? How do engagements roll out and how does that look to a customer as well? Sure. Yeah. I I think, you know, the best way to think of AMS is more of an operations service or an operations capability like other AWS services, right? And I I think like some of the the proof in that is is the fact that we're sitting here today and we found so much opportunity to partner with Second Watch. First of all, AMS is part of an operating model. We are not a complete customer operating model. We're not doing full stack managed services. We're not doing professional services within the scope of AWS managed services. So, so we're frankly partner required to deliver successfully to customers and complete their operating model. And, and I think you know, Second Watch has found a lot of value in working with AMS. Uh, you know, I think we, we, we had worked on an opportunity together where a customer is looking for DBA operations on top of AMS. AMS isn't providing DBA services, and we're not operating, say, AWS data capabilities. Think AWS Glue and Redshift for data analytics. Of course, that quickly leads into machine learning in these day and age. And so all that's going to be driven by partners. And so I think our our, our partner strategy is critical to, to the success of our business and frankly, critical to the success of our customers getting the value that they want out of cloud. We're trying to take this one layer of, of AWS configuration and simplify that through standardization. And all the rest of that, I think, is very much partner opportunity or an opportunity for customers uh, to do it for themselves. 
Yeah, and I will attest. I mean, yeah, we like we like the opportunities. Uh, you know, there's a few that unnamed customers where there's you know it's it's a great launch pad, if you will, or starting point for our customer, and then that helps us come in and actually add you know additional value. So, and quite often, I, I'd assume. I mean, you know, from a second watch perspective, that that's where you guys really want to deliver value, right? Delivering business insights or uh, customer insights back to the business, right? Is what you're going to do above the land. Like you guys want to be providing services at the beach, right? Where, where the customer's getting high value, they're enjoying their vacation to continue the analogy. You, you're not really, you know, perhaps interested in, in, you know, manning the toll booth on the bridge. Yeah, exactly. From a um, customer preparedness and readiness, and they're looking at AMS, what do they have to do to standardize, if you will, Yeah, I think this is an important point, right? Because we come forward with this standardized environment and standardized tool chain for infrastructure operations, the customer has to be open to, you know, truly letting AMS own those infrastructure operations, right? So we're going to use CloudWatch. Now, if the customer wants to run their own monitoring suite, we'll let them, though we're being, you know, paid to do the monitoring for them and the remediation of issues that we detect, right? So they have to be, you know, we, we bring our own endpoint security tooling that, that we've built automation around. So we've automated, you know, all of these different AWS services from SSM, SS, the SSM suite, run command, patch, inventory, and so on. We've automated our access model with AWS Managed Active Directory. We have a set of pre-canned IAM roles, which drive further standardization. We have tools that then manage our fleet of managed active directories and IAM roles, right? So the customer has to be willing to adopt our configuration of that landing zone. And often I'll be talking to customers, like, is our way the best way? I think best is hard to assess these days. Certainly our way is AWS best practice. It's been rigorously security reviewed, reviewed by third-party auditors, our principal engineering community, our operations readiness review process, right? We've been through all this. So we have a high degree in confidence in our model. It is a way. We believe it's robust. It's not necessarily better than the way a customer's implemented or better than a way a partner would implement it, but we believe it's a robust way. And really the value from that standardization is coming anytime one customer asks for something, all customers will typically benefit from that ask, right? And frankly, we're reaching into AWS service teams with the voice of our customers suggesting we need additional enhancements to AWS backup. We're looking for additional feature capability and SSM patch, right? As our customers are asking for reporting either for their compliance or their, their operations best practices, right? We're trying to drive that throughout all of AWS to enable the customer to have those more successful operations outcomes of which we're so passionate. But that only comes through an agreement to standardize on the AMS sort of way of working. I like it though. I can tell you, you know, very salient point there, you know, from spent a lot of time in the ERP business, early 2000s, right? And, you know, what did everyone want to do is break the ERP system. Customize yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah customize it. I'll implement a bespoke <laughs> yeah, solution, exactly. right? But now I can't yeah, upgrade. Yeah, right, right, right. But this is this is great. It speaks to that. And then you, you know, lace in the, uh, the compliance standards that you have as well, right? And you have, again, all that best of breed story is excellent. Right. Not just releasing the compliant services, which AWS is doing, but now we're providing the compliant processes running on top of those services. Right. right. Very strong. Very strong. Tell us some unique ways that customers are using the AMS that you wouldn't necessarily think of right off the bat. 
Sure. Yeah. My first one, it was second watch. I mean, second watch did all the engineering around it. You took AMS and you took AWS marketplace that had released a capability to enable SaaS procurement in AWS marketplace. And it took me a bit to get my head around it. So I'll try to explain it, but you can, as a independent software vendor or other entity, deploy a product out into AWS marketplace and customers can procure SaaS services within their AWS account. Nothing's deployed in the customer's AWS account. Rather, a trigger is triggered into AWS Marketplace, and the resources are deployed in the ISV's account. And then you know, requisite uh, information is provided back to the end customer to log in as, as an administrator to that now SaaS-based instance for configuration. And so we did that with Surewell, the ITSM software provider. And you can certainly search, search the internet for the case studies and stories on that. And so what Surewell did is, is they created ABS accounts and they handed them over to AWS managed services to operate them. And then SecondWatch built the services required to trigger the deployment of uh, those SaaS, exp- the, those resources into the Sherwell owned account that then were customer facing, right? So, so it was new technology from AWS Marketplace, a new business approach and idea from the ISV Sherwell to, to vend these products to their customers. And like, you know, it, it was early days for those products and it was the first time AMS had done it. So, so it was cool to see Second Watch step in and sort of plug in these different capabilities for a pretty elegant SaaS procurement solution. So, so that was one I liked. I don't know if you were involved in that one, Skip. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, early days uh, here for me when that all came together. Yeah, exciting. I looked at that and thought about the creativity and really it's a great pitch and platform for other customers that are trying to do that kind of work. And I think a great opportunity. I think something, you know, and I think through our partnership, we can certainly do more of it because once you get that play down, right, it's, it's, it's at that point, it becomes you know pretty simple technology to implement. And it's really about, you know, a modern application design with the ISV. And we think there's tremendous opportunity with, you know, more traditional ISVs who have typically just shipped software to pretty easily sassify their products, leveraging these techniques and a great opportunity for Second Watch to help those, those sort of customers. I think one of the things that I, I get kind of excited about on this service is that, and you touched on this, is the best practices. It's really taking in what the proven best practices that you've seen in this industry for 10 plus years and really layering that into there and making sure that the customers are following that. And I think that's just, the power is, is just fantastic on that. And, and that's the goal, right? I mean, you think of the Surewell use case, right? End customers of Surewell just want to leverage the Surewell product. They've probably been longtime consumers of it. They just want the business benefit of ITSM software. Now, of course, they have an expectation that that's hosted in a secure manner, in a compliant fashion, in a best practice fashion, right? So that they're confident their ITSM data is secure and stable and their systems will be operationally available. Of course, ITSM systems managing IT incidents, right? So it's, it's always that situation. You can't have your ITSM system going down when you're dealing with an IT incident, right? And so a complicated resiliency problem perhaps, right? But, but the business value isn't coming from the IT operations is coming from what the software is doing, right? So how do we just take that burden of, you know, that, that undifferentiated heavy lifting off of the ISV and the end customer? Oh, that's yeah. That's where value comes from. No, I think that's very true. I mean, obviously that phrase has been used a lot, the undifferentiated heavy lifting, but it, it we do see that time and time again, when we can take that burden of any of that type of stuff away from the customer and truly allow them to focus on the value of what they're doing for their customers is so incredibly awesome. And that is the promise of cloud, right? Ultimately. Indeed. 
indeed, right? But if you're not implementing those best practices, you won't realize that the, those benefits that the promises make, right? I, that always cost is the analogy or is the one I like to point to because it's just so easy to explain, right? Before finance led cost, now that IT operations person has to own cost every day and, and be impassioned about keeping cost of the business low so that money can be reinvested uh, where it can create differentiation. Yeah, no, I think those are some great benefits. Any other that come to mind that you think we could share with the customers out there? Yeah, I, I love, I mean, and, and we've just did a reInvent talk last year and just starting to publish the use case. And we, we certainly want to do more and do some short videos, but Thomson Reuters um, and and really the use case Thomson Reuters represents is the M&A use case, right? So uh, Refinitiv and Thomson Reuters split, a uh, pretty major M&A transaction. And, you know, I, I think wisely, I assume the consultants that did the M&A split is they realized splitting the IT department in two didn't, didn't make sense, right? And so, so, you know, it had to go one way or the other. At least this is how I've assessed, assessed it. They speak about that in the reInvent video. And so now Thomson Reuters needs to essentially build an operations department from the ground up. And so they came to AMS and said, hey, can you help? Like, it's our intent to insource all of this, but we need a couple of years of cloud operations. We're under deadlines to complete this M&A transaction. Can you just help with the operations? And then our intent will be to take back the environment over time. And I, I think that's an area of when you think about AWS, AMS as an AWS service, you, you realize, you know, our pricing model is such that you pay for the operational services based on the underlying infrastructure that you have. So as you take workloads out of the environment or take accounts back from AMS, you can start building those IT capabilities back in-house, and then you get to keep the configurations that we've had. You just then take on the management and uh, upgrade responsibility, right? So, so we can provide that, that bridge over use of bridge analogy today, but we can, we can provide that assistance to the customer for, for a shorter duration uh, in these M&A type transactions. And if they find they want to leave things with us because it was easier, they can do that. Or if they want to modernize, out of uh, the environment. So today they're running on EC2 and databases on top of EC2. If in the future they want to adopt AWS serverless capabilities or, or other more modern architecture designs, they can just modernize out, but they don't have to worry about the burden of doing the infrastructure operations in the cloud environment today. Again, freeing up their resources to do those higher value add tasks. Looking forward to the future, what, what are you most excited about with the service? Uh, one thing I'm excited about is a recently commissioned Forrester Total Economic Impact Study for AWS Managed Services. And you can find that just by searching the internet for Forrester AWS Managed Services. And what I thought was really compelling, Forrester came in and looked really hard at some of our customers' data um, in an anonymous fashion, and they were able to find AMS providing an ROI of 243% of what they needed to invest and then operate on AWS managed services. So I thought that was pretty exciting. Net present value of 7.7 .7 million is what Forrester concluded and a benefits value of $10.8 million. Uh, obviously, the devil of that is in the details, and you can find those details by Googling that paper. So I encourage you to download that and take a look and get really into the data of sort of the, the results AMS is able to provide. Yeah, we can put that link in the show notes. Yeah, I, I think we're going to get into uh, more sorts of capabilities that, that allow us to, to either take on a little bit more responsibility as more AWS services come out, focused on operations, and then also a little bit less, right? Something we haven't done to date is just done landing zone government. 
governance and vend out customer managed accounts, right? And this might also be a great partnership opportunity with Second Watch, where we'll vend out accounts that we don't take on any scope for, 100% customer responsibility, but we will manage the landing zone, right? So, you know, it will be vended out with CloudTrail configured and integrated, and I can see customers asking us to deploy SCPs that would prevent the deconfiguration of CloudTrail, for example. But how can we let the customer take on more in these more modern use cases yet We'll continue to look after the landing zone, providing them their cost reporting and so on at the governance level, right? So just more alignment to the governance layer is what I'm excited about. Yeah, that's fantastic because then you'll continue to foster that environment of, of experimentation as well. Right, exactly. Like, I, and, and that's something we don't do, I, I would say, uh, as our core use case today is, you know, managing a fleet of sandbox accounts, right? I mean, I think we're lucky at AWS, every one of us can have a AWS owned AWS sandbox account for our own learning and experimentation. Should you misconfigure that account, say deploy an instance with port 22 open to the internet, AWS security is going to ticket you and they're going to take that incident very seriously, right? They're going to keep you safe, right? So I think similar models where customers are able to give their staff, you know, environments for experimentation, yet oversight to prevent security incidents from occurring or when they do uh, a set of helping hands to remediate those security incidents. I think if you could stay neck and neck with the innov- the pace of innovation there and then restate the Sally May, you know, numbers and you, you take that into consideration, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, I hate saying win. For that sandbox use case. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, exactly. I think there's so much opportunity and it's funny, right? So, so what I'm excited about is opportunities to do less, if that makes sense. Right. But, but in a still a secure and compliant and conformant way. That's great. That's great. Well, Mike, I really want to thank you for your time today. Skip, of course, yours as well. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Now, this has been a fantastic conversation. Audience, we look forward to hearing from you. As always, suggestions, feedback, always welcome. Please reach out at cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com. Until the next episode, have a fantastic week. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Ian Willoughby and Skip Berry. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com slash company slash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter. 